listening to Vince Tracy and Eric Malpas talking football. So, a very good day. Uh, welcome to everybody. Um, it is absolutely stinking hot in parts of the Costa Blanca and in fact the whole of Spain we have a major heat wave alert with temperatures going over 40 which really is uh, very hot for everybody not just um, myself and Eric but you know everybody suffering at this time of the year let's find out how Eric is and obviously uh, down in Albia Eric I suppose you're feeling hot and bothered would that be right well Definitely hot and bothered, but we've got a nice little breeze down here at the moment, which doesn't half help, you know what I mean? You really keep sat there and then that lovely breeze comes along. But other than that, it is hot and bothered. But we, as I've said many times before, we can't complain living in Spain, can we, if it's too hot for us? Well, I mean, the, 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 the Spanish teach us how to live, really. So I do spend a lot of time indoors as much as I can but of course when you've got things that you have to do you've got to go and do them so a little bit later I have to go and uh, do some paperwork as everybody has to when they've moved uh, a house um, okay well look I want to start off today with this um, Wembley security be breach um, because this is what the world saw and it advertised England and its control of its uh, soccer hooliganism and uh, basically I'm thinking in terms of the fact that England want to host a World Cup again they haven't done that since 1966 we'll look at the playing side obviously as we develop our podcast together um, but uh, really those scenes were just uh, diabolical they were just pathetic they showed that uh, English people um, sh I shouldn't really say English people I should say people who purport to be English and support their football team uh, they just didn't seem to know how to behave and some of the um, the kicking and the attacking of other people um, was totally and utterly not acceptable and not really um, things that you would expect nice people to do um, I mean there's all very well calling people horrible names um, because then you start getting into the same sort of position as they are um, and what did you think, Eric, when you saw that? Well, for a start, I mean, when you were kicking off, well, it's 8 o'clock in England, the 9 o'clock over here, obviously, um, people would have been on the pot nearly all day from about 12 o'clock onwards. So personally, I'm not surprised there'd be half a dozen people thinking, oh, we'll have a few beers and then we'll go and have a cup of a bit of trouble. Do you know what I mean? It seems such an easy setup. And I think there's a lot to be and blamed on the people who organise the competition. If that game would have kicked off at 3 o'clock English time, you know, I think it, and pubs would have been open at 12, there wouldn't have been anything like that. But okay, look, um, I don't disagree with your comments. Probably should do, I haven't got any tickets, otherwise you wouldn't have been storming to get in. So to me, it was a bad organisation all around. Then they say that there wasn't enough people to look after, you know, inside the stewards up when don't you saw the issue with the policemen they don't are not really allowed to go into the ground their policing is outside the ground rather than inside the ground but if there's trouble they can go in but uh well i don't know i maybe didn't have enough stewards on that i so i looked at I um i looked at the the numbers for the police that were written into the papers yesterday uh and i saw that were 450 police and uh, they apparently only made 49 arrests now those figures came from the paper i was reading whether they're totally factual um is always up for grabs but i think there's more to this eric than meets the eye um you see for many many years i'm not a drinker i, I do drink but i'm not a, a big drinker you know that we've both uh, talked about things like this for a long time and the trouble is it's how you handle your alcohol and therefore it goes back to both education and also it's got to go back to the family because when all said and done this is where people learn the values and um, you know the tales of uh, people in families who become drunkards are, are it's legendary 
Um, I, I don't always blame the person straight away because obviously it does depend on, I mean, for example, my dad wasn't a big drinker. Uh, my mum certainly didn't drink. So that makes us goody-goodies for some people. Um, I don't think it is being goody-goody. I think it's just being sensible and it's being well brought up. Now, um, for other people, if their parents have been drinking and the culture in the home is to have a lot of drink, um, then obviously that would be the influence that carries them through the early part of their life. Then when it came to my teenage years, I was very lucky. I went to a sport that um, encouraged us to be very sensible about taking alcohol. Um, I'm talking about my judo uh, as my major sport. Uh, but even when I went to play football, you know, at 16, I can remember going to a pub and the older people in the party said, come on, Vince, you can have a shandy. They wouldn't uh, encourage me to uh, drink any more than that. Um, it was probably only when I was in my 20s and I got to the rugby club that I met with the very hardened drinkers. And uh, again, by that time, I had the discipline and I felt that the discipline had been given to me by my judo teaching and possibly by my earlier family experiences. Now, I, I mean, you can't really expect people who have been surrounded by drink all their lives to suddenly change and become teetotal or, you know, abstain a bit. What are your thoughts about what I've said already? Well, first of all, it's very difficult. I'm one of those people, I do like to drink, I'll be quite honest, uh, unlike yourself. But uh, if, there's people, when you have a drink, who follow and people who leave, you know. If you look like a, a football match and you can go into any pub, now certainly when you go to Wembley, there's certain, I didn't even know because I've not been at Wembley since this new arch has gone up. The last time I was at Wembley, it was the Twin Towers. But apparently now, from what I've listened to the news, all the way down Wembley Way now, there's pubs on the right-hand side and pubs on the left-hand side where people go. I mean, when I was hearing that people were there at like one o'clock and it's a nine o'clock kickoff, I thought to myself, well, that could be a bit dodgy, like, you know, I mean, I understand people going down to get the atmosphere, but that to me, you know, one o'clock for nine o'clock kickoff, it seems to, well, say nine o'clock, eight o'clock it would be in England. You know, I think that it could be a bit of a problem with, as it turned out. So, the only need one of them in the pub to say, come on lads, we've had enough to drink now, let's go up there and cause a bit of bother. And it seems to me, not just in football, in politics as well, you know, when these, uh, these uh, meetings like where they have get-togethers of different people uh, protesting, and there's always somebody there who wants to cause the trouble, like bringing down the statues and stuff like that. You know, uh, and it seems to me, the alcohol of it, is something which is uh, help, well not helps people but it makes people do stupid things and I'm sure when they wake up the next morning must say that was absolutely stupid why did they do that you know so and that's what gets me about hooligans in football you know many years ago 70s and 80s there were a lot of hooligans knocking about all he went to a football match for was to have a fight you know with the other supporters uh, it was like tribal stuff and uh, so I think the alcohol does have a lot to do with it but as I said I still think that if that game would have been kicking off at 3 o'clock there wouldn't have been any storm in the Wembley you know, or anything like that well, look, I do um, think it was a long day for a lot of people and they easily got picked on yeah ok look I, I, I take your point about the uh, UEFA uh, the uh, the kickoff times, the fact that you know it's all to support support the two tournament sponsors and advertisers and all that sort of thing. Um, but the point I want to make, and uh, thank you by the way for being honest, because um, it is difficult to be honest about something like this. But it does always depend on the early part of your life uh, as to how much you eventually, and of course things that happen during your life. Um, but there is something in the British culture which doesn't seem... I'm, I'm going to wait for you to react to this and see what you think as well. It doesn't seem to be the same out here in Spain. People don't seem to get drunk as much in Spain. I mean, you could go down the British section uh, and possibly, I think, where the Belgian guys are, um, that they seem to be, maybe even some of the German bars, they seem to be the worst offenders as 
Benidorm used to be. I mean, uh, obviously we're talking now in a time when things have changed. Um, but it does seem that certain countries drink differently and certain countries then behave differently after they've been drinking. Now, uh, I don't know about you in your early part of your life. I do know that when I was in my sort of teen and 20s, uh, when I went to the cavern, I don't think we were allowed alcohol in there. I do know that when we went to other of the uh, beat clubs, we had to go and get um, a thing called a shilling bentox, which was a little shot of bentox, which, again, I mean, we couldn't afford to drink. That's the simple answer to this um, for me. You know, I just didn't have the money to drink. And it would appear that the younger people today do have the money to drink. Now, does that ring a bell with you, um, or did you have enough money to go and drink when you were young? Well, I mean, obviously, when I was younger, I mean, I think I can remember a pint being about a shilling, if I'm not mistaken, just off the top of my head, which wasn't too bad. I was an apprentice when, well, eight, obviously, from being 15 to 21, I was an apprentice, and it was only until I got to about 18 where I made a decent money, well, I'll say decent money, more than normal. And uh, going in the pub, when I was 18, you might not believe it, but I never had a drink until I was actually 18. You go in there, I must be about 16, some of them, and you can see the. But I'm talking about England now, by the way, because I think over here in Spain, well, best, one of the best things about Spain, it's a great company, for the, a great country for the family. Because on a Sunday, you go to most Spanish restaurants, and you see the families all out with the youngsters they're having a drink you know the, the parents and all that and the youngsters will sit there and be well behaved and uh, I think they they grow up in that environment whereas in my day when I was a youngster I mean I probably I'd be on the park playing football or playing cricket whatever season it was but uh, you weren't allowed to go in pubs or anything like that in England so when you become 18 and you officially could go in a pub you would go in a pub, you know, just to find out what you've been missing kind of thing. Whereas over here, they brought up in it, and I presume it's the same in the other countries, you know, maybe Germany and uh, maybe France, you know, where a glass of wine's on the table every day. Whereas in England, it used to be out to the pub till two o'clock, and back home after two o'clock, and, and have you done You know, there was no, like, wine on the table and all organised. It's just everybody went to the pub on a Sunday afternoon, got home had a Sunday dinner, and it's just a different environment in England compared to most other countries. And that's where I think the drinking culture comes in. Because when you're younger, we not being able to go for a drink. <laughs> it probably made you go for a drink more when you were older. I don't know, I, I'm not sure. I can only speak for myself. I mean, I, as I say, I, but kids nowadays, you go in the pub. It more or less come round about the time when like, Lager came out. Well, I was always, when, when I first started drinking, I would have a pint of uh, bitter because you always told me if you have a pint of bitter and it's cloudy it's dodgy for you you know what I mean yeah so a lot of us used to drink bitter whereas in dark mild uh, you know you get all kinds of stuff in dark mild and stuff like that but anyway that's how I come to start drinking in the early days but I do believe it's a lot to do with the, the like as you have said really about the family and the bringing up and abroad, it's just a, a different culture altogether. Well, I, I, I still, I, I still. I still think that lurking behind everything is this communism threat. I really do believe this because you can clearly see that there's an unrest, there's a wave of unrest which is being developed. It's coming with the Black Lives Matter, which we'll be discussing in a few minutes. It's coming with uh, trying to get rid of all the statues. They've had a go at the monarchy and now they're using football. They have used football for many, many years. Um, and of course, the big thing is that you've got the in influence of TV in the UK, uh, which again, through the soaps, you've got this um, god of youth that has existed in the UK, kids growing up a lot earlier than they do on the continent. Um, okay, well, we've discussed that one, and uh, as a teacher, I have to say, I don't see uh, any reason for me not to believe that the behaviour follows the lack of education with a lot of 
the younger people that I had to go and teach when I was doing supply teaching. So, um, I mean, the thing is, you tend to grow up when you're with adults and, you know, if you're an apprentice and you're with older men who give you the right guidance, then I think you become a reasonably nice person, uh, especially if your mum and dad are nice, etc., etc. Where, whereas at school, you know, it's mob, it's mob-handed and they've taken away the power of the teachers in many ways. Um, Okay, let, let me go to uh, Gareth Southgate then and the actual game um, because obviously, uh, although we've got to discuss other parts of uh, the, the whole picture, um, I was very proud of the England players in many respects because, you know, uh, to get to a final, you've got to be okay, you've got to be pretty good and no matter how much criticism people might uh, heap on the players, I think uh, we'll discuss some issues which will show us that maybe there was a little bit more to the fact that they didn't win this tournament. Um, I mean, I'm picking up lots of things from different places, plus I've obviously got my own opinions. Now, we started the tournament and we were pretty grotty to start with. We didn't play well against Scotland. Um, we played effectively against Croatia and Slovakia, I think, with the, with the, with the next games. Uh, we did beat Germany, but I didn't feel that Germany was that good, so I wasn't really that surprised. And then we did have a very comfortable win against Ukraine, uh, which I think we both uh, intimated that maybe Ukraine weren't the, um, the best team at the tournament either. So, of course, we got to a final playing a team that have been on a great unbeaten run, and you only have to look at their back... Uh, defence uh, positions to see that they are wonderfully well drilled they're very very disciplined and so it was always going to be difficult uh, but what I was very surprised with in the final was I thought their attacking flair, their technical ability far outweighed what England seemed to be doing uh, and I was disappointed because I know we got the early goal but then did we sit back or did we just not do anything? I got the feeling that uh, they played us off the park for mu must, much of this game. And with a one goal advantage, I didn't understand why Southgate didn't bring Grealish on um, or certainly uh, Foden or somebody who was able to um, change the game. Now, it could be that they were injured or whatever. I don't think that was the case with, with Grealish. Um, but you'll know more about Foden and what he was able to do. And to bring on Marcus Rashford and Sancho in the last couple of minutes of extra time, I think was um, rather a little bit like uh, a schoolboy comic strip uh, thinking about Roy of the Rovers and Melchester Rovers turning it round in the last couple of minutes. So um, what did you think of um, England as a team that must be good enough to get to the final because they got to the final. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, from the start, I mean, we, we had an easy passage to the final. If you want to call Germany a top team, which unfortunately not now, because Spain beat them, I think, 6-1 or 5-1. They took, took a few good hands they beat Germany. But anyway, uh, I just thought we got an easy passage to the final. We had five out of six games played at Wembley where we had everybody behind us. And if we couldn't get to the final, it would have been bad news. If we'd have been on the other side of the group, we wouldn't even be talking about the final, well, in my opinion, but that's the way it goes. Uh, we got there, so good luck to the lads, and uh, all I can say is it well done. But in the final, I've said it even before, well, early on in the tournament, why, oh why, is he playing two defensive midfield players? Don't get me wrong, I think that Phillips and the uh, Rice are really good players. What we only need one of them. We don't need two of them in that midfield. What we need is two players on either side of whichever one you want to pick, Rice or Phillips, such as, like, well, in, in the case of the final, I mean, as it happened that Fordham weren't available, apparently had a slight injury. So on the, what we need, in my opinion, is two, def two attacking midfielders with one good defensive midfielder. Because everybody said, that England's weakness was a defence. Now that's a lot of rubbish. The defence played well all the way through the competition. Yeah. Whether it's because of the opposition we was up against, that's for you to decide. But don't forget the first two games, Maguire didn't play. 
and uh, Tyrone Mins didn't let us down. But the fact back four, in my opinion, looks as safe as houses, you know. But in front of him, for some reason, he, he, he just wants to keep all of the midfield and stop people getting out of defence because he's frightened to death. In my opinion, if we'd have had a different manager with a, a more attacking ideas, we'd have won that final easily. Because when you get a goal after three minutes and you've got 60,000 people behind you, you don't start sitting back and letting the other team come at you because that's just asking for trouble. Particularly a team like Italy, who play good football. I mean, it's not like the Italy we used to know of all. If they'd have got one on up, that would have been good night nurse, you know. Mm -hmm. They'd have all been back there, it'd been like a, a wall of blue. And that's what they used to be like. But now, because Mancini's in charge, he's always been a top-minded player, apart from being an a tap-minded winger when he used to play himself, you know, and that's why he's changed literally. He, you don't just go on defence anymore now, you play attacking football. And I know England got the early goal and therefore they had to come out, but Italy played some great football, I thought, in the second half. Yeah. And it was just a matter of the time before they scored. But, having said that, Mancini was making changes all the time. He was taking two players off and putting two players on. And don't forget, you've got five subs in these games, and one if you go into extra time. So I thought, why don't, why, why, why don't our manager do something like that? We won them up. Why don't we, instead of sitting back, why don't we push them back? Yeah. Um, to me, I'm very disappointed. But everybody at the moment, in my opinion, is uh, uh, is praising uh, our manager. But for me, I think he missed a really big trick there. With 60,000 people behind you at Wembley, but a 1 0 lead after three minutes. You know. Well, no, I agree no, with I you. Eric, I, I completely agree with you. That's exactly how I saw the game. Um, you, you know, to get the early goal and then sit back is is dangerous for any team. Italy might have been able to do it because they, they've, they've played like that for many years, but they didn't have that sort of a game when they were playing. They did actually look uh, like they wanted to uh, attack. I thought that uh, some of the... Um, I've got to go back to something else, by the way. I thought some of their defensive play was uh, despicable. I think that the play acting all the way through the tournament was bad. It brings football into disgrace. I think that uh, the big guy who manhandled the Spanish um, captain in the uh, toss-up for the extra time in the um, in the semi-final, uh, he was trying it on all the time. And I think there was one particular bit where he uh, um, got hold of Saka's shirt. And, I mean, he should have been off for that, Eric, because, quite frankly, there's one thing grabbing a shirt and having a little tug. There is something about pulling somebody back in the way that he did it. Uh, it was very, very aggressive. Uh, I know, of course, uh, there was uh, there was no doubt that Sack would, would have gone forward and had maybe uh, been in a very good attacking position. But that does not condone the fact that um, that is a part of a football match which really, uh, I think he should have been off. Did you think he should have been off for that? It was, well, because it's, I'm just really talking about that. I thought the referees through the tournament were absolutely fantastic. And although I thought the referee in the final had a good game, there was a, an argument that he could have been sent off. The reason why he wouldn't have been sent off was because it, what, if he'd have got past him, his defenders, he would have come over and been able to tackle him again. Do you understand what I mean? The rule on when you pull somebody down like that with a professional foul and you get sent off is when they're through one-on-one on one with the goalkeeper. But because it was more kind of on the touchline type thing, you know, other people could have got across the cover but isn't there a rule? Isn't there a rule? Isn't there a rule for unprofessional conduct? I mean, that surely came under that category. Well, as, as far as I'm concerned, with regards to sending off, uh, I, don't, I don't think he would have sent him off. Not, not in that situation. It was a professional foul. There's no argument about that. Yeah. But in my opinion, I thought the referee handled the game excellent all the way through. And although you've been uh, criticising the, the players, the referees all the way through the tournament didn't keep falling for the old trick, you know, when you fall on the floor. And the number of times when I thought, oh, that could be a trick, and you, went, you just waved play on. And I think after a bit, a lot of the players realised they're getting nowhere with referees if you're diving about on the floor. I mean, our own Sterling, number of times Sterling 
seemed to get dragged down or pulled down and I thought oh it could be a penalty and then the referees just waved it on and then you saw a replay and the blokes weren't touching him you know it, I thought the rest did a fantastic job okay and, uh, okay well look Look, look, Eric, the, 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 there was a video that went round um, all the social media, which I'm sure you would have seen, <clears throat> which was uh, the Italian players training. Now, um, that that sort of leads me to think, well, they that sort of th that sort of behaviour, which has been around since the 60s, um, it does mean that I'm not the only one that thinks like this or sees these things. I felt that there were a number of times when they were play acting and I don't think it's I think it's ungentlemanly uh, conduct I'm sure there's a, a law in the um, the 17 rules that, that, that they have or the 17 laws that they have in the football match um, so I, I, I think really that the um, there was a bit of play acting which could have been stamped on but I'll accept your point that I think that the referees were doing a good job and uh, it's very very difficult Although, having said that, when you've got two linesmen and I didn't see any intervention apart from an offside by any linesman, then uh, really, you know, uh, I wonder whether we need linesmen. Let's have a let's 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 have a robot going up and down with a flag. Um, OK, well, look, let's go to this very, very strange way that Gareth Southgate brought on uh, Marcus Rashford and um, uh, San uh, Sancho, isn't it, with, with, with the two guys that came on who, who were going to take the penalties. Um, but, you know, with two minutes to go, um, fresh legs, I understand, halfway through the first half of extra time, but fresh legs for a penalty shootout when they've not been practising and warming up it didn't make any sense to me and I don't think it made a lot of sense to many of the other people uh, especially the pundits that um, I've, I've looked at what they were saying what did you make of that bizarre sort of selection process which must have gone through his mind well it was, it was fairly obvious he was obviously happy with a one-all draw and a penalty shootout and therefore he had those he already I don't know if you noticed it, but I think he already passed a piece of paper on the pitch when somebody came on to McGuire. And uh, I don't know what was on, and nobody probably does. But I think it was the list of players who was going to set the penalties. And obviously that's why he was bringing those two on. <laughs> the biggest danger was he was doing it when Italy had a corner. And there's a well known saying in football you don't make substitutions when there's a corner because somebody's going to go on and somebody's got to come off. And, he did, that's where there's a mix-up on who to mark off the corner. But anyway, he managed to get away with that. And at the end of the day, he didn't get away with the penalties because uh, those five players he had on the pitch were the five players who were going to set the penalty. But I was and reading, Eric. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what... He should have had them on ages ago. I don't know whether this is factual, um, but it was written as though it was a fact that... Um, the young lad Saka had never taken a penalty. Now, if that is true, then that's ludicrous to actually have a young lad like that. And in fact, really, um, it, the, the the biggest question I'll, I'll put to you now is if you've got Sterling and Grealish on the pitch, um, Grealish saying uh, absolutely assertively in the papers that he wanted to take a penalty, why would you not have Sterling and Grealish? Well, the reason being, because apparently, I mean, he don't know because what goes on behind closed doors, he'd been practising all week. Those five players who took the penalties were the best penalty takers in the, in, in the, in the team. And, that, uh, and it was already a foregone conclusion you'd be taking the penalties. Providing none of them had come off injured. I mean, Maguire could have been injured. Then, you know, the same could be said for uh, uh, our forward Kane. So they could have been injured, but... Other than that, it was set in stone who was going to take the penalties. That, that is obvious to me. But unfortunately, you'd have thought you'd have given him a little bit of time on the pitch with about five or ten minutes to go. But what he was doing, he brought two defenders up and was putting two attackers on in the last minute, right? But because he was scared of losing the game, he wasn't going to put them on with ten minutes to go just in case it backfired on him. And that's why it was all left to the last minute, because we were frightened to lose the game. 
And at the end, as long as he got them on, you know, he knew he had his five best players taking penalties. Now, if one of them was Saka, then obviously, I mean, no disrespect to Raheem Sterling, I like Raheem Sterling, but I won't trust him with a penalty. When he would take some from Man City, I tell you what, talk about close my eyes and close everything. It, you know, Sterling cannot hit a dead ball. There's no argument mm. that Sterling should have been taking a penalty. Okay, so Sterling you can... might be a bit di- different because he's a class footballer with regards to being able to strike the ball and cross the ball, but Sterling, no, definitely not. The only other ones where you could say it might have happened, well, I think he took them off anyway. Uh, Mason Mount, he could have possibly been available to take a penalty if he had been on. Uh, he'd already substituted uh, the other lad uh, uh, in midfield, Rice. So there was only Phillips there you could pick up from midfield. Uh, Henderson had been taken off as well. All these players who you thought might have been able to take a penalty were off the park. But he knew that he had five players who knew that they were going to take the penalties. And he also knew which order was going to be taken. So uh, I think that was a organised cock-up, you could say, really, in my opinion, because you can never rely it being a penalty shootout, can you? Okay. But when it got to that stage, he knew that he had a team wrote down or five players to get the penalties. Okay. what he did. But he never gave it a thought to the players, not having a feel of the ball, not having the hmm. taste of running around and being part of the setup, rather than just walking to the centre circle yeah. and then having to walk right down and take the penalties. Okay. But having said that, I mean, the one Rashford took, come on, why did he do all that silly messing about and running up and j- looking this way and that way and j- jocking and skipping and then taking the penalty? <laughs> you can't be concentrated. Having been a penalty taking himself all the time I played football, the one thing I knew that when I put that ball down in the spot, I knew where I was putting that ball. I didn't have to have a funny run up or anything. I knew me run up, I had a decent run at the ball and I used to place the ball into the back of the net. End of story. If the keeper saved it, good luck. I could even tell him where I was going to put it, and I, I guarantee he won't get it. But I must admit, when you've got a six foot seven goalkeeper, it's a little bit more difficult exactly. to there because I don't think we're that big. You know? Okay, let me just let me just emphasise that it's far easier for us to criticise than it is for Southgate uh, with all the pressures etc making his decisions uh, so um, at the end of the day we're talking about uh, you know hindsight is a great uh, ally but the next part of it is something which I think um, yes I think that we can certainly talk about with great um, confidence if, if, if I put it that way uh, which is basically you've just won a runners-up medal you haven't lost a runners-up medal you've won a runners-up medal uh, in the Euro 2020 and then the minute you awarded it you take it off like some kid who didn't get the right bag of sweets um, I find that pretty bad sportsmanship. I find it a little bit offensive, and quite honestly, I think whoever's advising them to do these things, um, that's not the way sport works. The sport should be that, okay, things went against us a bit, but we came second in a major tournament, something that hasn't been achieved for very very many years and i think um for me i didn't like to see that uh right what did you feel about that one well these people nowadays they, they, for some reason i don't know because of the amount of money they're earning or whatever it doesn't seem to mean a lot to them nowadays what you get you know uh, and if, it, if it's a runners up uh, i would remember a uh, a book by Billy Brenner, believe it or not, it was called You Getting Help for Coming Second. And a lot of people maybe still believe that kind of saying. But we know it takes a lot to get to, to be runners up. In fact, England on the last four tournaments have finished fourth, third, and second. That's three tournaments, I should say. And uh, that's pretty, that is pretty consistent, to be fair. Yes. You know, so, like you say, well, it's probably going back to the way you brought up, isn't it? I mean, all of a sudden, things like medals and cups don't mean a lot to players, you know. And what annoys me about all this, uh, when they go on about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff they're getting on the media through the uh, Twitter and stuff like that, 
they do so, but why don't a lot of them come off? And then the companies that are running Twitter and stuff like that, what are they going to do then? And then nobody can abuse them because there's nobody there to abuse. So I, I can't figure that one out. And, but they're all, I'll tell you why, because they want to make more money. They, they on enough money as it is. Never mind what money you make on the blinking, the, this media thing with Twitter and Instagram. I, I, to quite honest, I don't really clear how it all works. But I do know that you get paid, if you've got, say, a million followers or two million followers or whatever it is, and then they put adverts on it on your, on your site, which pays you because of the fact that they're advertising on your site and they're making more money. So nobody mentions that. Why don't, the only one who's done it, that's Thierry Henry. And he said, that's me done. I'm not doing any more on out like that. And I thought that's great. Okay. These footballers come along and say, well, I've got to keep in touch with me, me fans and all them people who are following me and by putting a photograph of me playing with my kids in the garden or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to mix with the supporters, stop driving around in these blacked out cars where nobody can see them. And coaches, by the way, when you travel to certain games, nobody can see them half of the time. And, uh, and, and get out there and meet supporters. Never mind linking all this media stuff where you're getting extra money. You've got enough money as it is. And you know me, I, I don't blame them for the money they get. It's just oh. the people who give it to them. And, oh, okay, well look... That's you, what I reckon you should do. A lot of them. You and I have got to this little... You and, yeah, you you and I have got to this little sticking point uh, for the last 20 years, which is basically uh, that you're right. It's not the uh, footballers' fault that they get this money, uh, but I still maintain that it's totally wrong to be paying that sort of money uh, to people in football. And I think that, um, you know, there is a bigger picture. I have my own reservations, what it's all about. Let's go to this Black Lives Matter um, taking the knee at the beginning of the tournament and all the way through. Now, uh, UEFA uh, were very quick to tell the um, the Football Association and uh, players and everybody else that we weren't allowed to put the poppy on our shirt. I don't know if you remember this, um, but yeah. that was something that was uh, clearly stated that we are not allowed to honour the people who fought for the freedoms for all the people who were able to take part in this uh, tournament. So um, don't um, don't people in UEFA and FIFA and all these other uh, FA and any of the organisations don't they realise? that they're being politicised by this event or have they got so scared or are they being paid money f to allow it? I mean one of those options is probably going to be true and <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned um, it's turned a lot of my age group certainly and uh, people that really uh, didn't want to be involved in the politics of this it's made us feel uh, that really our wishes have been totally ignored um, we'll talk about the uh, the young black players in a minute because basically I don't think anybody it, it, that I ever uh, talk with and people that um, I mix with um, none of us are bothered about the fact that um, y you know the person is is there because they're you know of a certain color sorry they're there because they play good football and because um, they have shown us that they like playing for England. Now, um, when the English team stands now, it represents a multicultural society. Um, this is where I do have expertise because I know that the Conservatives, led by Margaret Thatcher and then Tony Blair pursued the same policy, um, decided we were going to become multicultural. And we've gone in the UK from being, and certainly England, from being a Christian country uh, to being multicultural. And multicultural always would entail that people would be there from different cultures by definition. <clears throat> so don't anybody suddenly become surprised that we've got a lot of black players and please don't pick on these young lads who would be like any young lad absolutely chuffed out of their skins to be playing for the country um so do black lives matter we've said it before eric i know you we've been around together for a long long time 
all lives matter it doesn't matter whether you're Chinese black Asian Caucasian white in a general sense whatever you might be you're either a nice person or you're not a nice person you're either a football fan or you're not a football fan so that leads me to think that somebody or some organization is driving a hate campaign and I think when you saw the uh, people entering into the stadium at Wembley um, I think you could see that that seemed to have a semblance of organization and it seemed to be copying really what happened in the American situation when they went into Congress and um, stormed Congress I mean it was almost like you could see that somebody or some group of people have organized this and um, I don't know about you and I'm pretty sure that you feel like me I'm sick and tired of football being used for political purposes I just want to watch a nice game of football um, that's before we even talk about the masks okay your take because you've got a team like a Liverpool team our teams you know a very mixed mixed team predominantly black I think now um, that doesn't stop me liking Liverpool I like the team I like the way they play I like the players I think that we've got some fabulous players you've got great players whether they're black or not I'm I would never really have wanted to speak about them um, and the colour of the skin you know um, I feel really quite saddened that, that we've come to this I'm pretty sure you're the same aren't you Eric, are you yeah, still... Sorry, I think uh, the problem is, like you said, everybody, whichever club you support, you've all got different nationalities playing players, not more often than not. You only have to look at this tournament and see the different players playing for different countries, you know. Uh, in Man City's case, I think we've had about 12 players playing for about five different countries, or maybe six now, I'm thinking of that. And uh, that is good, you know, in one respect, because of the fact that it makes it more of a global. But the reason these people go to football and make problems is because it's a global game and it's being shown all around the world. And that's how they get this problem now. I mean, most of the talk from, from the other night, from Sunday night, has been these people who stormed the stadium. And also, after storming the stadium, the next day, all these people putting out abuse on the media. And that's took more of the headlines than England getting beat three nil, uh, getting beat on penalties, you know. And, uh, and it's, it's detracted from the actual game itself because the newspaper. Well, I said this I don't know how many times. The newspapers want to sell newspapers for obvious reasons and so on. And these people exploit the newspapers because they know that by causing a problem there on, like, say, European Champions final, that that's going to go all around the world. And at the moment, England are trying very hard, or the FA are trying very hard, to get the 2030 World Cup in England and Ireland, and, uh, well, the United Kingdom, actually, and uh, they're trying hard to get it. And they reckon now, because of what happened at Wembley on, on Sunday night, that they've probably got no chance. It's gone up in smoke kind of thing, that they have no chance of getting it. Because it took us... 1966 was the last time we had a World Cup at there, and since then we've not had another World Cup. And you know why? Because of hooligans, because of people causing problems. And these people abroad don't want to know about England. Plus, probably we're not playing a big enough backhander as well. How did Cater ever get this World Cup? And beyond me. You know, so it's, it's, it's just the FIFA and the Lincoln UEFA. All these people at the top come from countries which are. But we've not got many English people representing us, in my opinion. I think we have got that guilt on one of them. I'm not quite sure about the FIFA one. But it's a, it's kind of a lockout for England. But we're not helping ourselves when this happens. Well, I, you've got to remember, there's probably 100 people out of about 60,000 people who cause the trouble. And it's only a minority, and the minority are getting the biggest talking about than anything. Like these, maybe, people who've use the, the lads on the on the on the media. Three players have been had to go out by people. I mean, what wonder why they left Sterling on these normally one of the top ones they have a go at, isn't it? You know, it's just because he missed the penalties. So people now are firing in these two board warriors they call them. And I think it, it should be the companies are to blame for allowing it to happen in the first place. 
But then secondly, I blame the players for being on a media situation. All he's got to do is retract himself, the company then will have nobody to work on and everybody will be miles better off. And then people will, will come with a keyboard, what is it, we go, hmm, what can I do now? Who can I ever go at now? He's got to be stupid. So I looked at it anyway. But that's we—that's how we've become like an anonymous society, so that you can hide without sort of people knowing who's yeah. uh, really uh, firing the bullets. And um, y you know, I, I do feel that there's a lot more politics lurking behind it. But we can't—I can't prove it. Um, all I can say is one thing that I did read, which um, was very disturbing. Uh, be before I go to that, um, yes, I can understand why Qatar has got uh, the, uh, the, the the next uh, uh, tournament. It's because basically uh, they pay for it. I mean, you know, it's the other side of the world. It's far too hot. Um, they don't really understand football the way we do. Um, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, all, all the travel that's been involved in the Euro 2020, uh, despite we being told about the global warming, there's all the air miles that um, teams have had. Uh, there's all this mixing so that people will all go back and uh, probably have the flu, but it'll be all COVID again and we'll all be locked down. <clears throat> it's all about this control that's going on. And, of course, the thing is, if people do see it, um, then the minute that anybody tries to do anything about it, they're jumped on, they're banned from social media accounts and all things like that. Uh, I think that it's very, very, very sad. And, y you know, I think the world needs to wake up to it. I mean, we've been told that, you know, uh, the, the weather patterns uh, will all get better because we've had no planes, for example. I don't know about you, mm. I, I think it's been worse. I mean, you know... We've had uh, floods and hurricanes and tornadoes. The same, we always have these things, you know. So, I think, quite honestly, uh, there's a lot of kidology behind a lot of the politics, which never comes to the front for people to understand. Um, I did pick up something which I thought was very sad, and it was the fact that um, people were actually saying, and I read this on a couple of Twitter and social media media pages. Uh, people were offering rooms for um, females, and I would imagine other people, but certainly, you know, females seem to be the target group, who were afraid because their husbands or partners would be coming back drunk and likely abuse them. Now, if you can't accept that a football team um, that you support has been defeated um, and just sort of shrug your shoulders and get on with it I think you've got real problems in life I think these problems are caused greatly as you've already outlined by the newspapers by the social medias by the television by the sorts of uh, outrageously bad things that you see in these media um, come on you know to resort to violence after your team's beaten that is uh, just horrible and it goes back to my days in education when around the year 20, uh, 2000 actually when, when I stopped serious teaching um, I, I just got that feeling that, that uh, too many kids were out of control and I wasn't teaching in one of the roughest parts of the country you know we're losing and we have lost respect for each other um, do, 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 do we deserve to have all this going on in many ways I think it's been of our own making we, we did we were told that things like this would happen if we didn't behave ourselves um, but nobody believed and I think um, sadly to actually read that people will be going home and beating up their partners because uh, England lost to Italy that's disgraceful Eric There's no, there is no excuse for that in my mind at all yeah, it's like you say, it's a part of the society which we need to clamp out. But having said that, behind closed doors, you don't know what goes on being, you know, for anybody, for any family, for anything. I've seen people in the past, don't forget many years ago, before you had television, don't forget, a lot of people, the women in particular, never went to work or anything. They used to be at home all day, making sure the tea was ready in time for the dad to come in and linking the finished work and, and come in and, and the tea'd have to be on the table and then there'd be a lot of abuse if it wasn't. You know, I mean, that's the way 
people in those days were kind of brought up. You know, the dad ruled the house. The women were just kind of supporting them, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I came along came the material world, <laughs> as Madonna would say. <laughs> you know, we're not, we wanted a car, we wanted a blinking washing machine, and now we're going to get it. Well, I want to get an X amount of money with it, that would say. Well, I'll have to go out and earn some money. And, and the women start to go out and work and make more money coming into the house so they could have material things. And I, I saw that happen in my, in my lifetime from being a youngster to growing up in a street where nobody had anything to people all of a sudden popping up with a car and then somebody being able to afford a watching machine. Then originally the first one people used to get was a television, believe it or not, because in my day there were no televisions, you know. There was one person at the end of the street who had a telly and it had one of them big magnifying glasses on it, it was Ready Fusion, and you looked at it, it was like an iron screen but with a big magnifying glass on. And you know, that was to me is like an advancement for people, you know, and this is what happened, people had to rely on women going out to work to get extra money to buy all these special things. But then, what happened was, the, the youngsters of today, I mean, I, I just probably missed out on it, you know, the, the latch-listed kids you used to call them, didn't they? Where you got home from school at dinner time, and you know, whereas your mum had to go to work, you know, you, you had to sort your own dinner out. In my case, I went to my grandma's, I'll be quite honest with you, when I was at school at dinner time, you used to go to my grandma's. But these are things which happen. So therefore, that control of the family being together, having something to eat, it was all lost because women went out to work. I'm not saying that's the main reason, but it goes a long way to the reason why families have been broken up. Okay, and and of course society has changed while we've been living here, um, you know, while we've been growing up and growing older, um, we have had an increase in uh, the composition of the society that we lived in. I come from an area which was near the port, so, uh, you know, we did see, uh, obviously, the black community. Uh, we didn't have a lot of black people living on the Wirral, and I think probably that has its place as well uh, i mean coronation street for example e even in coronation street that didn't come till later so okay look for the last part of um our podcast today we've got about six seven or eight uh, seven minutes or so um we've got some new managers to start looking at now um so patrick vieira has gone to crystal palace i saw a great um um documentary on him and Roy Keane at the best of enemies I think they called the um, documentary mm. uh, he looks an absolute gentleman I mean he, he was a great player graced the the football pitch at Arsenal and uh, Man City I think uh, I'm right in remembering uh, Roy Keane of course was like a little exocet in, um, <laughs> in his career with Manchester United um, but they did have a lot of good memories together which came across really well they both have great respect for each other um, I think you told me that um, Patrick Vieira had managed in some of uh, Man City's uh, uh, younger teams so how do you think he's going to do with Crystal Palace well I mean I don't know what they've done up to now because they had about 8 players out of contract and up to now because of the Euros going on Nothing's really been mentioned in the papers about what clubs are doing these days, with the exception of Man United, who have signed Sancho. But uh, Patrick Vieira, he's an excellent... Well, I've actually met him, actually, believe it or not. And uh, he is a great bloke, you know. And if you ever see him, he's so tall. I think about... He must be six foot two, six foot three. And he's always immaculately dressed, well presented, and... I, can, I always thought that he was going to be Manchester City's next manager because we found him off to America to learn the game, you know, with New York City and then from then on he's gone to France and now he's gone to Crystal Palace and I, I really have my fingers crossed that he does really well because he is such a gentleman and sometimes he don't make the best managers being a gentleman but having followed Roy Hodgson I reckon he was a gentleman, so he might just fit into Crystal Palace's idea. But he will play football. He won't be like Crystal Palace used to be, that's for sure. He'll be playing back to playing the ball from the back. He'll be playing football. He is a footballer. And he played for City, as you probably know, at the end of his career. And uh, I enjoyed watching him play. But he's a smashing bloke. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I wish him well. Yeah. I think he'll do okay at Crystal Palace. But... 
I don't know what's going to go on with the playing list you've got, you know. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, the big one for me uh, in the respect of Rafa Benitez going from the red side of Liverpool to the blue side. I've seen some very nice comments on social media saying uh, that Rafa is a real gentleman and as long as uh, Everton don't beat Liverpool, we wish him all the very best and certainly that would be the way I would see it. Um, I mean, he is a very, very good coach, no matter uh, what we uh, might have an opinion as to the man himself. He's a good coach. He's an effective coach. Uh, he had two situations at both Liverpool and Newcastle where the directors wouldn't spend uh, to give him the side that he merited. Um, OK, uh it must be quite difficult, though, to go to Everton after being uh, so loved at uh, Liverpool. What do you think? Well, it's, he's, he's made a bit of a, a run for his own back, really, because he opened his gob and said that Liverpool uh, is only a small club. Uh, I take a lot of uh, persuading the Everton fans to forgive him for that. Uh, unless he go on and win the first ten games, he'll still be at him for, uh, for that statement. What well, having said that, individually as a person, he's well known as the Spanish waiter. So, you know, everybody used to call him the Spanish waiter. Um, he is a, he seems to be a likable chap, but he he's one of them people who will work with what he's got, like he did at Newcastle when he played defensive nearly every week to try and make sure he stayed in the division. And a lot of people didn't like him for it, but it was effective and it managed to keep him up into the Premier League for a at least two seasons when he was there. Now, what, what he's going to do at Everton, I don't know, but we reckon Everton's got a few bonds to come or to spend. We reckon you've got a new ground to move to. It could be a new beginning. But having said that, he said that about Lanzarote, didn't he? And then along comes Real Madrid and just whips them away from there, you know. And it was a shame because I thought Everton were on the right track to getting organised, you know, with regards to moving to a new ground and getting a very manager who can bring players in. Whether Benitez can still do that, that remains to be seen. We what players he can sign. I, I don't know, it's difficult now, you know, with the pandemic. Yeah. There's not that much money about, you know, so mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see what he does. Well, let's hope... He has got there. They're, not a, they're not a rubbish team, Evan, as we know last year. He started the season off really well and then just tailed off. I think that was because he didn't have a big enough squad. You know, when you get a few injuries, the early days are okay and then you get a few injuries and you have to bring players in and move players about and I think that's what's uh, upset Everton a lot last year and once he started to go on a downward spiral that was bad news for them then he came back a little bit and then went down again so they're very unpredictable Everton at the moment it's not too interesting to we, we won't know until we see season starts and we know what players he's got available yeah okay we've only got uh, sadly just a minute and a half for you uh, to tell us what you think about the Wolves manager's move he's gone uh, Nuno Santos I th uh, think that's the quick way that we say his name um, he's gone of course to Spurs so uh, I think he should be successful there I would be very surprised if he doesn't uh, have a good team by the, the end of a, the first couple of weeks what do you think? Well, I've always liked him ever since he went to Wolves. I mean, when we were in the championship, he was brilliant. He got them playing some great football, built up a team, mainly all Portuguese players, actually. Uh, but the team played great football. And last year at Wolves, he was a bit unlucky when Nimenez got injured because he'd already sold uh, the lad to Liverpool. Jota. Uh, what's his name? Jota. Yeah, he'd already gone to Liverpool. But I, I wondered why they'd let him go, and I couldn't understand it. There no nothing in the papers that he was going to go to Liverpool because I'm sure there'd been a few clubs after him. But then I saw that Wolves play and they got that Neto, who's a good player as yeah. well. So I think that's why they let him go. But, but I think he's a good manager. And I don't know, I think they just kind of fell out at Wolves because I don't think he could get his own way with what he wanted, you know, player-wise. And he decided to move on, or they decided to move him on. But well, at Tottenham, well, it's a... Oh, Tottenham are like a bag of devils, aren't they? You don't know what to do with Tottenham. I, I couldn't even begin to start solving their problems because is Harry Kane leaving? Maybe not now. You've got a feeling that he might be staying. I can't see anybody wanting to pay 100 million in this day and age no. for a player. Uh, if you're going to pay that kind of money, you might as well get the young lad, Alan. You know, so uh, yeah. 
I think Harry Kane gained a number at Tottenham. I think he'll be staying there now. And he's gone all the rest of his season without winning a trophy the way it's going. Particularly when he didn't win one at the end of the weekend, which he must have been craving for. Yeah. All right, Eric, we've got to uh, stop there because we're right on the hour. Stay safe. Uh, always lovely to have a chat with you. Thanks very much indeed, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, uh, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.